This is Fantastic Books and How to Read Them. The fantasy book review podcast for fantasy fanatics, book nerds, and lovers of lore and stories. Covering some of the most beloved fantasy series, as well as brand new novels. With your hosts, Sam and Anna Furman. Let's see what we're reading this week. Welcome back, fantastic listeners. Welcome to our second mini-series, this time featuring the first book in the Intercontinent series by Brian Asher. The first book is called The Assassin of Mal Jose, and it takes place in a fantasy realm called the Intercontinents, which are a system of floating continents, each with its own unique people and types of magic. And the main location in the Intercontinents the story takes place is on the Intercontinent of Mal Jose. Now, Mount Jose is an interesting territory. It has the structure more of a modern medieval and one way of bypassing certain technological roadblocks. The people of this intercontinent use something called enchanting, where they're able to augment and enhance everyday items to do extraordinary things. And there's lots of applications in which this can be used. We find later in the plot. Yeah, so for example, some characters use enchantment to morph and meld objects into other objects. You can use it to make an object perform a function, such as we see a staff that almost takes a photograph, and it seems like you could also use it on weapons or other objects to do different things. But the way it works is Malcose uses different types of mineral powders in almost sort of an alchemical magic that they use to enhance different objects in different ways. So it's a really creative and interesting way for them to bypass the limitations of the technology of this time era. Even though we do know other intercontinents are more technologically advanced than they are. Yeah, so it's interesting how each intercontinent clings to its own ideologies and cultural customs. And one other thing that Malcose has for magic is something called aura. So this seems to be a genetic ability that Malcoseans are more prone to. The best way to describe it is being able to like shift your energy around in your body to do different things. And it's, in a way, developed like a muscle. The more you practice using this aura, if you have the ability, the greater strength it will develop in time. We'll see certain characters able to use this ability in combat or to enhance their own physical prowess, such as jumping very high and far, and even used to defend themselves. So it's a really interesting power that these natives are able to use. We follow a few different characters in the first set of chapters. So we have Oros, who opens the book. He's the first character we meet. He's a mercenary called a Rinkaith, and he is working on a contract to find a mysterious heir of the king. And he was assigned to follow that contract by a noble named Franco Jornmawa, um, who is a very wealthy, sort of eccentric noble and assigned the contract knowing that it is one of the most difficult and perhaps impossible to solve. So Oros took that on, and along his journeys, met up with one of his old friends from when he was back in the military, a man named Barrett Gregore, who is also a Rinkaith mercenary. The interesting thing about Oros is he's an older member of the military, the Rincoil. He's accomplished so many interesting and impressive deeds that this is almost like his last hurrah, one great unattainable goal he wishes to complete in order for him to feel satisfied with his journey as a hero. 
And Barrett, on the other hand, thinks it's a wild goose chase and, despite offering to help Oros, is pretty skeptical about the fact that it is a solvable contract. Yes, and they make quite an interesting pair where Oros is so focused and determined and introverted and Barrett is the antithesis of that. He is loud and jovial and crass and funny. And large. And very large. (laughs) Um, So they make a great pair. We have a few other characters that we meet in the first few chapters. We also meet Analia Tarboros, who is the princess of Malcose. Her father, Arik Tarboros, is currently the king, uh, and Oros is the character who's looking for the potential heir of her father. Her father. It's an heir that is supposedly secret, so it's an interesting dynamic there. Um, Analia is a student at a university. She's approaching her graduation and she is really, really good at enchantment, even though her father is pushing her more in terms of learning things like diplomacy and things that will make her be a better queen, because she is set to become Malcose's first queen who inherits the throne through birthright. The family business. <laughs> <laughs> um, She's actually really cool, though. And as we progress in our episode, we kind of gush about her for quite a while. She's awesome. I think she really has a well-rounded personality and has a cool arc ahead of her as far as character development. Yeah, I really like her. And there's another kind of, not like foil character, but a parallel, another young character. So we have Torong Geth, who's also approaching his graduation. So they're kind of on a similar life path right now. He is studying battle arts. He's been studying these since he was eight years old. He's now 15 and his life path is to join the military and become part of that elite guard, the Rin Coil, that Aros was previously a member of. So we can sort of see how some of these characters have intersecting interests and paths and goals. Torong has really interesting aura powers that we're going to discuss in the episode. But throughout the episode, he discovers he has aura powers that are above the extraordinary and is on a quest to learn more about himself and why these powers are maybe not necessarily seen in a good light by his peers. Yes. And so although his abilities are becoming atypical, he's very earnest. He wants to earn the approval of his instructors and classmates and just genuinely be the best version of himself so he can serve his nation. So he's a cool guy. I'm interested to see where his path goes. And then finally, the other plotline we're following is the plotline of the titular assassin, a man named Scoria Kith. So Scoria is from a different intercontinent. He is from the intercontinent of Kratos, or Kratos which is closest to Malcose and actually the source of most of the mineral powders used in enchantment. So they are seen as more of a resource-providing intercontinent. And Scoria is very upset with this, not only because he feels like his intercontinent is exploited, but also the exploitation has led to a lot of interfighting among his own people. And his goal is to unite his whole intercontinent as one. And then he also wants to gain a foothold in Malcose, and his goal is to assassinate King Arik Tabaros. And through his assassination plot, he hopes to destabilize Malcose so the Kith tribe can invade and acquire wealth and power and restructure the way the relationship between these two territories operates. Without further ado, we're going to jump into our interview with the author himself, Brian Asher. We'll be discussing the chapters every week with him, which is a new format for us. It's been really fun and exciting. 
and we hope you enjoy. All right. So um, like I said, we read chapters one through seven, so we don't know anything after that. So I made like a, a list of all the characters. So I figured we could kind of talk about like the characters and maybe how you came up with all the different uh, like um, the different characters and the different like types of people and the, the world you built and then talk a little bit about the magic stuff that's already been going on because it's very cool. Yeah, and there's some really interesting factions and interesting components and I can see how each of the territories and the intercontinents, how they're set up to be different and that's really interesting. Yeah, yeah. It's a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, I like cool. it. Do you have a, a map of them by any... Because not in this ah, book and I was wondering... <laughs> no, so I, I I grew up, you know, I was born 80s, but, you know, I grew up with a lot of the 90s stuff. And I always loved how characters like Wolverine, when his backstory was mysterious, uh-huh. I always thought that was kind of cool. So I like leaving kind of a, a, a bit of ambiguity. So that way, like, you know, when you had those eras of, of, let's say, I grew up a huge comic book fan, but like when the Marvel comics had that room to to grow and to be different... And you felt like anything was possible and there was so much more to learn. I want to leave that. So that way, if I decide, oh, I'd really like to tell a story of this kind, I always have room to maybe slide another intercontinent into that, into that airspace. And if I do a map, I kind of set myself in a rigid space and I kind of like having the flow to be pretty loose. That's actually really clever. Yeah. Yeah. there's There's no finite... Yeah, yeah, it's intentional vagueness. And I really like a lot of uh, pulp fiction. Mm-hmm. And I always thought it was cool how, um, like, I don't know if you've ever heard of Elric. No. no, no, really cool. stuff. So Elric came out in like the 70s, I, I believe 70s, but it was like a very pulp punk rock. It was like the first Conan type of character um, who was like an antihero. So it was basically like the guy took Conan and sort of did the opposite with him, like his uh, sword steel souls. Ooh. He's fighting for these like gods of, of law and chaos. And honestly, a lot of The Witcher was, was really taken from that. Um, the guy who wrote The Witcher actually helped translate Elric into his home country. So he borrowed a lot from it. Oh, oh wow. that's so cool because The Witcher is so popular now. Yeah. Yeah. And the books are really small. They're like thinner than mine. And you can find them at any used bookstore for like a couple bucks. Oh, sweet. They're sweet. really cool. And I, I liked how with his his lore, it's like, he left a lot of room like there's you know early stages where he's talking to these gods and he's you know damning his sword who steals these souls you know sometimes of his own friends and then the lore keeps building and you always feel like it's intentional but there's more to learn and so i always liked people who have the ability to play in that more vague uh space because not many people do it anymore yeah i like it because i know you've mentioned like two other in inter intercontinence jeez <laughs> it's a mouthful (laughs) yeah i was reading it out loud and some of the names i was definitely like stumbling over and i was like oh i gotta figure out uh how to pronounce everything um but it's really fun yeah um but you mentioned one which i know you already wrote the second book for and then there's like uh so that's lorev yeah yeah so i brought i did i prepared (laughs) so yeah (laughs) this this is the first this is the first book i wrote and the cool part is all of them are standalone stories Mm -hmm. so they don't have to be read in any order or you don't have to read them together so the first one is obviously fantasy as you see magic uh yep. aura powers and the next one is science fiction and every book i write i write intentionally a little bit about the next intercontinent that's coming into play so in this book i mentioned another intercontinent called Mont Croix that has more like monsters and vampires and stuff like that and they're 
mentioned in this book because what ends up happening and sorry to jump around but there's a group of people who are like rich nightclub kids who mimic vampire culture and they put like cybernetic parts in their body to mimic vampires and so that's sort of a little prelude to let you know that oh there will be another place that has these cool things so the next book I'm actually I started writing now and that's a whole nother thing so that's that's really clever yeah I like that each one is a different genre yeah yeah because I was even mentioning just in the beginning a couple sections of your first book Assassins of Malchazay like when you mentioned Larev how because there's different advancements either with like in this story enchantments or technology it allows for different adventures but you don't have to necessarily have it be generational where it's like oh several generations later then technology developed with these different areas there's different progress so that's really cool and unique that was why i had that little piece about um the boy torong when he is studying about the other intercontinent and he's talking about the airship and he named his bird after that. You know, I, I did that intentionally because I, uh, you know, there's tons of fictional universes, even Harry Potter, like in Harry Potter world, you know, because the magic is their technology and their, their whole, you know, system, everything looks older because the the magic runs everything. And so I thought like for my universe, there's no difference. Like I can have, and even in our own world, I've said this on another podcast is that, even in our own world, there are still places who don't want the internet. They don't want telephones. They just want to live the way they want to live. So yeah. I felt it's easy for me to put myself in a headspace of, yeah, there's a technologically advanced world, but then there's also a, a world that's rural and much more magic-based because that's their way of life and that's how they like it. So Yeah. Yeah. No, it was really I think cool. it's cool. Even that initial description where um, instead of using a camera, there's that staff with that orb and the enchantment to kind of create a snapshot in time. That was really cool so, oh awesome thank you yeah, yeah. i did like that, that it took really a little cool. while to think of because i was like how do i do this without it being like just hokey and a plot hole filler <laughs> oh i love that because you could just visualize it so well where like you know you're preparing the enchantment you like slam the staff down and like it just you know steals a moment so that's really cool thank you yeah absolutely um you uh, think we are ready to get like fully started with yeah i guess so yeah because we kind of jumped right <laughs> right into <laughs> it the first like set of chapters we've read it was definitely a good introduction to like the different characters and like these different plot lines which i'm assuming are all gonna kind of come together so yeah so just like for listeners we've got oros who's like a mercenary he's kind of like this retired guy from the military and now he's working i'm assuming as like a i'm getting vibes of like a mandalorian almost like kind of star warsy like out on his own but part of this brotherhood um and he's working on a contract which may or may not be like solvable um that he got from a noble franco jorn jornmua i don't know if Jornella. i'm pronoun- but close. Jornella. it's all it's all no please tell me how to pronounce everything because i want to know yeah. <laughs> um and he's kind of like an eccentric wealthy person um whose house blew up at the end of or is on fire at the end of the section we read so that was kind of shocking i was not expecting that to happen <laughs> <laughs> Because he's definitely seems like the character of where they're like getting the the quest from. So like, you know, the old quote unquote like wizard character that you go to when he sends you out into the world. But then uh, so I thought they were going to go and he would send them off on a quest. But then they went to go meet with him and his house was on fire. So now I'm not sure what's going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> I do like the fact that people are very skeptical. Like even Barrett was like, you know, this is how he gets people in he sends them on a couple of contracts that are pretty solvable and then 
there's always like one that may or may not be completable. And so there's like this air of doubt and intrigue of like, this might just be a wild goose chase. Like, what are you getting yourself into? So it definitely feels more than just a concrete, I'm going to do the big thing or slay the monster. It's very like, is this even possible to be completed? So I really, so far I'm enjoying that aspect of this. Awesome. Yeah, it was with the characters, each one, and you'll see it as they're sort of each of them are on a journey of of self-discovery. That's kind of like the theme and at just different stages of life. So you have the two young kids mm-hmm. um, who are obviously getting through, you know, their graduation and, and or trying to get through it. And then as far as Oros goes in this contract, you know, he's someone who's kind of been there and done it all. Yeah. But he doesn't he doesn't he doesn't have the ability to hang it up. You know, you see this all the time, whether it's, you know, in sports or or entertainment, where there's people who they, they don't want to hang it up. They want to keep holding on. And, you know, are they holding on to the point where, you know, they're they're getting knocked out every fight, you know, and they're like an embarrassment or or can they do one last, you know, major thing that truly means something. And then for I'm sure a lot of people like moving into that phase of retirement, if you're used to that adrenaline and that that adventure and, and that, you know, uh, type of. Uh, go-go mentality and then you take that all away how how do you move on from that where do you go you have to have purpose and so that's sort of a, a big thing for Oros throughout the entire journey while he's with Barrett is sort of like trying to find his purpose and is this mission really going to give him that or is it just he just can't quit so yeah yeah I like the balance between like someone who's definitely like society sees him as past his prime but for him, he's like, you know, I have so much experience and more experience than anyone. And I've always been the best. So, like, why can't they just let me have, like, my one final, like, cherry on top of the cake? Like, this would yeah. be the, the best way to do it. And it's like, well, is this going to be your downfall? Or is this going to be, like, your crowning moment of glory? You can finally, like, rest on your laurels after this. Yeah. <laughs> oh, for sure. I actually really enjoy the line, too, where um, there's young, I think it's like the Rin uh soldiers that come up to him and it's like, oh, you know, my father told me stories of you and how he resents that so much because it <laughs> makes him feel his age. And I thought that was really well placed in there. Yeah, that was a good spot. And then, like, I guess his kind of opposite... Well, we mentioned Barrett is his... Uh, he's another mercenary. Are they in the same... They're both Rinkaith, so, like, this, like, mercenary group. He's helping him along his contract. But then the other plot lines are Torong, who is studying battle arts and basically I see is kind of, like the opposite of Oros, like he's trying to become what Oros is. He has these really good battle skills. And then he's also the one who's got this power called aura, which is like the other type of magic. So I think there's enchantment and aura that we've been introduced to so far. Yeah, no, I thought it was really fascinating how at least for schools of magic and world building enchantment, especially how you were mentioning more of like rural set worlds enchantment is a good intermediary replacing technology and allowing people to do tasks that would require technology. So um, it like enhances objects, right? Yeah. 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 It's, it's, um, I was a big full metal alchemist fan. Yeah. That's so great medium. There's a little bit of an homage in there to that with how it works. So, oh, absolutely. Just utilizing elements and minerals. Yeah. It was really cool to see the manipulation, especially with like the clay cups and how, um, Analia, the princess. Yeah, like she's already kind of stumbling onto some greatness with manipulating some of that material and just the limitless possibilities, if that gets developed, how that could be used for like infrastructure or military use. 
So I really, I think that's an awesome component to this world is like the enchantment aspect of like manipulating materials. But um, the aura stuff, I think that's very interesting because that's just to the Malkosians. Yeah, so there's, I don't, I can't give away too much. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I know, I'm trying to like not it's have not, spoilers. It's not even in this book, but so all of my books are standalone. However, in my mind, this group of characters I have three stories of like three books planned in my mind for these characters. Oh, awesome. Uh, and so the aura power right now is only at a certain level and there's more to it and there's more involvement with it, mm-hmm. but that doesn't get revealed until the next story with these characters. But that's all I can say. Cause there's like so much that can and will happen, but this book will all resolve in one story. It will have a beginning, middle and end, but when it comes to the aura powers, essentially it, it starts out with just people just having a little bit of an extension or like a shield around them. And only Malkozeans seem to have the genetic capability to access it. And, you know, it's like any muscle. If you work at it more and more, you become better and better at it. That's why, like, Farmer Joe down the way isn't, you know, aura punching people <laughs> <laughs> and all that. Essentially for uh, these powers... Torong is noticing that it is like morphing and becoming more for him. Um, and there are larger implications that will be talked about in this book, but not yeah. like they'll be alluded to. They'll be alluded to. So, well, we can already start to see it in like these beginning sections where he um, is practicing with Garrett Cornies and he's so proud of his development so far because he's already going beyond what's conventionally seen as possible. And now he's able to use it to grab objects and implement that into his arsenal and skill set. And it's really interesting right now as like the audience, we're seeing how this is a great ability, but it's almost so rare and seen as taboo. It's interesting to see what the development's going to be. Yeah, because the reveal was great. Like he had like a new sword and he was about to show off his new sword to like his master, Garak Cornice, but then because he had also been developing the skill you thought that like the sword fight sparring was going to be like this big moment in his training, but it ended up being like he revealed his aura power and used it to grab the guy's weapon. And it, it really startled him. And so that took a different turn than I was expecting too. And now Torong's character is interested in like learning out more about it instead of waiting for answers like he's supposed to be doing. Um, So now he's, (laughs) he's kind of going out on his own a little bit, which I see as like, the beginning of his journey figuring out all of his abilities and maybe like what he has the power to do um and it might be like a power he can learn to wield but it might also be like too powerful i'm not sure yet um but he ends up going trying to find because you said there's lots of like minerals that have power so he's trying to find this salt that will make him invisible so that he can sneak into his master's like office and study and like try to find more information about what's going on with him And I totally understand that, like, young want to know of, like, I have something going on, like, in my body that I can control but not control. And he, like, wanted to please his master so much and show him this skill and then got, like, the exact opposite reaction. So I think that's definitely going to play a lot into his character development, too. Yeah. And I definitely think it's, like, that kind of, like, stubborn youthfulness where you think you are right in everything you're doing. So instead of just being patient and waiting for answers, he's, like you know, my master wasn't pleased. And then started thinking like, you know, if I want to appease him, just be patient. We'll get this figured out together. It's like, 
I yeah, know. Yeah. I'll just sneak into his office and look for answers, and it'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I'm really I'm excited to see that development, see how he progresses with his understanding of his power. Yeah. Um, and then the other like plot line with another young character is the princess Analia Tarboros um, and her father. And like she's really good at mineral enchantment. So I kind of see her and Tarong as like parallel opposites, I guess, because they're both like the younger students. They're both approaching this graduation at the same time. And like Torong is trying to please his teacher. And then uh, Nalia's kind of trying to please her dad, who's the king, but also kind of not. Well, I like that she's trying to do it her way. Yeah, because she's really good at enchantments, but he wants her to be more interested in, like, diplomacy and things he sees are practical. Um, Yeah. So, and we only got, like, one, I think one chapter with her so far, but she seems very intriguing, and I'm interested to see if she ends up, like, following her path of becoming queen or not. I have a feeling she's going to not do that or do it, like, very much on her own terms. Okay. And not... But I, I don't know. <laughs> it's so yeah. hard to not know right <laughs> That's now. That's the point. That's the point is to keep me guessing. She she was a fun character, right? Because my my purpose with her is like, I think a lot of times in stories, you'll have the character who's like, oh, you know, I'm told I have to do this. But then like, I want to do that. And like, oh, I, I hate my parents and I hate my life, whatever. I kind of wanted the more realistic version where it's like, no, I I do love my parents. I, I do want to follow in their footsteps. And I I am good at it. However... What about this other thing I'm also really good at? Yeah. And real that's like a much harder conflict to deal with than sort of the black and white A B version is like this one where it's like, no, I'm I'm really good at both. How do I really come to terms? And as her character story progresses, you'll see more and more how that inner conflict really becomes more and more difficult as she becomes even more proficient and more recruited, I'll say. Ooh, um, okay. And so like, yeah, so there's like a lot more to it than just simply, you know, being good at one thing or another. It's it's like a, it, you know, it's like you're trying to choose like, oh, these two different places want me to play on their team and they're both standout teams, right? Yeah. Like it's, it's just really a difficult thing. And also that she actually does truly believe like, oh, I could affect my kingdom in a really positive way, but can I also do it with the enchantment? So it's it's a really interesting story for her. I loved her character. And uh, as far as, you know, what she does in the rest of this book, I think it's really fun. It was one of my favorite parts to write. She also gets one of the coolest illustrations in the book because she gets like a scene uh, illustration, like in, I think it's maybe chapter, either chapter eight or chapter 10. There's like a big uh, scenery illustration of the place that she goes. I want to look at it right now. <laughs> yeah, Actually, I know. I'm like, the, I gotta look the it The artwork we were sent was gorgeous. Oh yeah, I love the artwork. Yeah, like especially like Oro's design and um, the full book cover illustration just getting that full landscape is just really it sets such a great tone did you do this art oh i wish (laughs) (laughs) i'd be making comic books it looks really good yeah he uh his name's amelis amelis yanuskavik he's from lithuania and uh, i found him through art station it's like a website where artists list their portfolios and i think he did a lot of video game art actually a lot of concept art and he had some really cool fantasy stuff. And I always enjoyed, like, I don't know if you've read uh, the Stormlight Archive books. A little bit of it. Yeah, I haven't gotten into them too much yet. I love the cover. Like the very first cover where it's like the big scene and you have the guy standing and it just has this big grand feel of there's so much available uh, in this world to explore. And so when I had him do that cover, I love that idea of like you have this big 
castle, which is like the capital. You can mm-hmm. see the little intercontinents in the background. And then, you know, you see Scoria off to the side. If you, you know, the, the, the image uh, covers the whole cover. Yeah. And so yeah, I really around. love that. Yeah. And so I really liked his illustration of that. It is. It's and like so, very sweeping and grand. Yeah. So it's, it's really cool. And he did all the illustrations for this book and then for the characters and the scenes. And then in the next book, uh, that I wrote. He did all the characters in the cover, but then I had another artist who did um, unique uh, city illustrations for every place they go to. So. Oh, cool. Awesome. Yeah. Um, well, speaking of Scoria, he's like the only character we haven't talked about yet. Love and... his design too, like very menacing, and then the illustration I think captures that really well with like the double mohawk, and he just he's got a very like red character. skin, right? Like that's so scary mm-hmm. seeming. Yeah. <laughs> I'm assuming he is the assassin, like the yeah. The, okay, yeah. I missed. I misunderstood at first, and I thought Oros was after I read the first chapter. But then I like referred to the back of the book, and I was like, oh no, he's not the assassin. <laughs> <laughs> uh, somebody else is, um, and he got introduced, and he's definitely like so far painted very much as like a villain. Like the first thing he does is like kill somebody. And kill another person, actually. He kills two people in one chapter. And makes his big declaration of, like, going after um, King Arik uh, Tabros. Like, that's, like, his end game. Like, he really wants to just create destabilization. Is his goal to take over all of Melkose? Because it sounds like they're kind of, like, him and his tribe. Um, they're from a different intercontinent called Kratos. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it sounds yeah. like they're trying to, like, just get in a little bit of foothold on the edge of Melkose. But, yeah, I think their plan seems to be to like take over all of it which i think is going to be interesting especially because their intercontinent supplies like most of the minerals for the world i think you said and then like enchantment works so much with minerals so it seems like they should have like a pretty good trade relationship but clearly there's like definitely other stuff going on if people are trying to invade and there's like political discontent and everything like that yeah a lot of animosity yeah (laughs) <laughs> yeah he's he's kind of a classic villain obviously he's you know an evil guy but as far as the character goes yeah he is part of this intercontinent that does most of the the mining gets most of the minerals and that continent is almost um, a little bit mad maxi in that they they wear um and i don't know if it if it mentioned it yet but they basically have like they're big into machinery and so they like socket actual put in sockets in their body that they can attach different armor to if they need to and, and utilize different, you know, mechanical equipment. And so they're very industrial in, in that way. And so they're on this desert area. They're all very, you know, sunburnt to an extent, which gives them that red sheen. And so, yeah, his his idea is to sort of destabilize Malcose because he just believes that there's more that they can have. And because of the nature of the mining and the way that all of these sort of different tribes and factions all feed on each other, they're not able to really get together and create the the level of I guess I guess the the level of richness he desires like he believes they should be more empirical they should be able to have more of a say and take over more but because they're all constantly infighting they're never able to rise to that level and so his idea is if he can sweep in and make this grand moment of killing the king then he can usher in this you know new era of there will be war but then he'll bring all of the Kratos people under him because no one has done something this spectacular and so it's his way to really get towards that goal yeah which is like a good goal for a villain like he's not just bad for the sake of being bad like he he wants to 
better his homeland, which seems like it's being almost exploited by the fact that they have all these minerals that just like everyone else is kind of coming in and taking them. Whereas like from his perspective, if they have the one thing everyone needs, like you said, they should be able to like have a lot more wealth. So I totally understand like that plot line being very realistic um, of just feeling like you're getting taken advantage of uh, and wanting to kind of stop that, um, especially if you have a neighbor like they're the closest to Malcose and Malcose seems very like prosperous and peaceful. And I think you described like some really cool, like the landscape's really beautiful. Like people keep commenting like it's summer right now. So like everything's just like gorgeous um, and in bloom. And there's like, I think the the wind was described as like being blue, like coming in. So I don't know if it, that was, if the wind is actually blue or if it's just like a gorgeous blue sky, but like everything seems very idyllic here. Mm. Um, <laughs> for now <laughs> for now yes. for now for sure um i think that's what will make it so much more of a tragedy when things go south because you see like what the initial prosperity was yeah things seem to be going pretty well and i think that's kind of all the characters one thing i do really enjoy about these four main characters so far and i'm glad you brought up in you know our beginning dialogue is that they are all kind of on a journey of self-discovery they all have very realistic and um a lot of people can identify with a lot of these people's thoughts and motives you know it's not just that uh, kind of fantasy you know i'm the child of destiny it's my you know mission to save the land like these people have realistic problems um interpersonal relationships and motives so it makes it really engaging oh well thank you yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I really liked so far the King Arik and his daughter Analia, their relationship. Like you said, she's not the kind of person who's like, I hate my parents. Like, I'm going to go out on my own destiny. Like, when he called her into his office after she was like late for their meeting, I thought it was going to be like a big blowout fight or whatever. But it was like this very understanding, polite relationship between a father and his kid who like he wants to obviously push her in one direction and she's struggling with wanting to go in that direction, but mm. the other direction as well. And it was just very different from what you usually see in books, because either I feel like kids hate their parents or they're orphans, and that seems to be like the two camps for heroes, <laughs> yeah. like yeah. one or the other. So to have a, a princess who has a very nurturing father is like different. So I'm not sure how that's going to influence her path, but yeah. I think it like it's going to definitely be a big part of it. And it's cool, too, because it seems like she has a firm grasp on a bunch of different kind of skill sets where it's not just like, I've neglected everything they want me to be, and I'm only interested in learning enchantments. Like, she still has good knowledge of the things they're trying to groom her for, and I like that in the beginning, while she's late, she kind of throws uh, a previous conversation back at her dad where she was saying, you know, arriving late puts you in a position of control yeah. <laughs> waiting for your arrival. Like, I love that. It really shows that she is paying attention, although she's doing things her way. So that was kind of yeah. cool. Yeah. yeah. So I'm not really sure how all these characters are going to come together because we've gotten just like so far like a little vignette of what each character is doing separately. But I guess the main plot points that we haven't really talked about yet are that Oros and Barrett are on a the contract that's unsolvable, quote unquote, is to prove that the king has a different heir. I thought that is, is that the main plot? <laughs> is that what's going to bring all the characters together? Is so that that, so it's, inter it's together? interesting because um, there are pieces within this story that are seeds being planted for future stories. I don't want to say too much because I don't want to spoil okay. anything. Yeah, yeah. Um, so the main crux of this one 
is um, and uh, where you guys are at at the chapter seven, it totally makes sense why it kind of hasn't shown yet is like because all these characters are on this journey of self-discovery and then um, each of them seem like they're going these very different paths, but then they all come together because of the actions of, of Scoria and that I don't want to give anything away, but his mm. actions will unwittingly unite all of them. Um, and so these three very different people will be unwittingly united, but I, I don't want to give too much. So, yeah. Okay. But, yeah. I mean, yeah, that is cool kind too. of hinted at on the back of the book. Like it says like, I mean, I did, I confused who the assassin was, so that's fair. <laughs> no, no, it's all, yeah. Oh, man, I want to ask questions, but I don't want too much like to be given Do away. You ask yet. away, and I will. I will be as vague as possible. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I don't really have a question, but definitely very interested so far with um, the animals and how they're being represented in the book. Um, oh yeah, Torong has like a a bird horse dinosaur thing yeah, yeah. i'm kinda, picturing kinda a like dinosaur a... <laughs> with wings yeah kind of like a chocobo a little bit but yeah so, okay yeah yeah so it's basically like uh, they have these um birds that are, are like horses like they're two legs but then they're sort of different ones that are capable in different ways and i do get more into um more of the specifics on which birds are kind of used for which reasons because there's a character, I don't want to give her away, but she does some really cool stuff. She's a she's a different character who's involved. And she uses a bird that's more like a war bird that can like fight and, oh, and cool. is different than his bird, which is like a racing bird. Mm. Uh, so yeah, there's kind of like different. And then, yeah, so you'll see. The birds come more and more into play as it goes on, but I didn't want to get too much like, and here is, you know, everything you need to know Wikipedia article right, about right. <laughs> yeah. birds. Like... <laughs> No, but I think it's a really fun and interesting addition that, you know, really cultivates the world and makes it feel very unique. Yeah, like it's definitely a fantasy world, but not so much so that you're like, I don't understand what's going on. Like it's very, everything's very unique. Like the animals were unique. The floating continent idea is super cool. And then we've been in one city so far. And that one was really neat. Like it's super complicated to get in and out of and then all of the doors and gates are locked by like riddles and puzzles which was really fun and i love that that's like a city like a very artsy kind of bohemian city that attracts this like a metropolitan yeah yeah, like this kind of funky crowd who obviously really loves this like riddle idea which i think is really cool and i'm excited to see what other places they go to yeah uh because if that's one city and that's so unique, like I've never read anything like that. I want to know where else they're going to go. So yeah, it'll be fun to discover. I'm definitely excited to like have the characters go out and about more. So that's kind of fun. I guess we can just ask some like general questions too. So um, like, obviously you have this book, you have another book, both set in the interconscience, but like what was the original inspiration for the floating intercontinent idea? Like, where are you pulling ideas from? Yeah. So, um, I mean, obviously imagination, there's a lot of inspiration. I have a, a really close friend. He and I originally were going to make comic books together. And we had talked about uh, making, you know, a world where there's all these different floating planets and kind of this egg-shaped atmosphere. And unfortunately, we never really got to do it. Uh, so when I made the Intercontinents, it was sort of like an homage to that idea and an homage to my buddy. And then when I was thinking about it, I was like, oh, it'd be cool if they were these like 
floating lands and then like the oceans almost went like in a circle around you know the bottoms of them that's why you see they're running water and they'll and they'll talk more about the edge oceans and so there's like these oceans that kind of like magically can circle around and i just thought it was a really cool visual idea Um, and then it opens me to a lot of different stuff i can do as far as like you know them using different kinds of airships or uh, different kinds of magic it also means that maybe once they weren't all floating and broken apart, but that's a whole nother thing. Yeah. Ooh, okay. So. Yeah. I was wondering, cause if they were floating at one point, it talks about like the water falling over the edge and I was like, where does the water go? But if there's like a big, cool, like ocean swirling around the edge, that sounds like a really cool location. Like I hope there's like weird pirates and stuff in that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's fun. That's so cool. Yeah, it is. And I, I'm enjoying right now how much uh, diversity there is, especially um, the groundwork just so far in such a beginning portion of the book of all these different territories. We love Dungeons and Dragons, so I'm definitely getting like, a lot of those kind of vibes, which is really fun. So it's yeah. been really cool to kind of I, crack I into this. Oh, fun. Yeah. Oh, awesome. Or I think you said like enchantment is kind of like in Skyrim. Oh, yeah. When you can... I, I've not played, so I don't really know. But yeah, you were talking game. about that. Oh, I, so I, fun. I just started it, to be fair. Like, have paid, played maybe like two hours worth. <laughs> okay. Nice. I'm getting into yeah, it. It's getting into game. it. Yeah, but there's definitely like a lot of different like pieces I can see coming in from different fantasy worlds. Like I said, um, like Oros kind of reminds me of like some Star Warsy stuff. And then there's definitely more like traditional fantasy, like with the magic you've got in play here but yeah i like all the different like pieces you kind of plucked and then like really changed it into your own like whole world yeah um, it's very unique it's really fun to read so far oh, i appreciate wish, that i wish we'd read a little bit more because we don't have a lot of like plot to talk about yeah. yet because like everyone's just just kind of getting going um oh i did have one question and i'm just genuinely curious like how did you find us because i'm so glad like oh yeah <laughs> you reached out to connect and like share your book with us because it was just really awesome oh i appreciate that yeah um i just have been looking for fantasy podcasts to listen to i'm a huge pro wrestling fan so in my search queries it always just gives me all the pro wrestling podcasts <laughs> <laughs> and i was like i need to start listening to stuff about books um and so i've been going and listening to different podcasts and i saw what you guys were doing breaking down Patrick Ruth's, I, I, I can't say his name right, <laughs> Patrick's book, and I thought it was really cool the way that you guys did that, and I was like, oh, I don't really see anyone doing that, and so I was like, I need to really reach out, like, this is, this is a cool format, um, and then when you guys mentioned having me on to talk about these different chapter points, I was like, that's really cool, because generally, the podcast I've been on, it's like, you kind of give an hour summary of just talking in general about everything, and this is really cool, because it gives me a chance to dive back into this book that I published in, you know, two years ago. And it's just cool to go back and like sort of relive these memories of writing it. Cause every time you bring up a different chapter, it also brings up different moments in my life and different pieces of me that like were put into those chapters. So it's just a really exciting format to do. Thanks. Awesome. I'm glad you're enjoying like part of the journey as much as we are, because I think a lot of times with books we tend to discuss just people in general like the overall story and like parts they enjoy and so it's kind of nice to break a book down by sections and do these individual episodes because in the world nowadays everything's so streamable and you get everything lump sum so it's kind of nice to be like what's gonna happen next week there's that anticipation that i'm 
enjoying that's part of this process that we do now where we can break books down into portions at a time. I think it, it really makes it feel more present and alive. Yeah. Yeah, it's like a book club. It's fun. Yeah. yeah, that's kind of just like the vibe we're going for is like little book club. Um, and it's like, it's also really cool because you know, obviously what's going to happen because you wrote it. Um, but like for us to sit here and be like, I wonder what's going to happen. Um, <laughs> it's just like kind of fun. And it's neat because like we haven't had an author do all the chapters with us before. So like to be able to ask questions like in the moment about how things work or like even just like a pronunciation like that's really cool yeah, that's from awesome. a reader's perspective um the creator at your fingertips to just like talk to you because i yeah. think that's really fun and i guess oh, man i just have like a lot of predictions about what's going to happen and i don't know please like, lay on any... me yeah. <laughs> All right. so obviously you said like scoria is the like main bringer together of like how all the characters are going to happen so i I feel like he might be successful at his plot to kill the king. And then that's going to like kind of launch Analia into the position of becoming queen, but maybe before she's ready for it. And then I have literally no idea how the other two characters are oh, going to. I feel to... like she's going to have to flee. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, no, I think things are going to get like really bad. Okay, that's fair. Maybe Torong oh. will like graduate and become a member of the Ring Coil, which is like the elite military group. And then maybe he'll be like assigned to her in some kind of way mm. i could definitely see some kind of like romance going on there just because they're the only two young people but who knows that's always yeah. hard to like work into an adventure plot i feel like there might be more coming out with barrett's family because he has family in politics and he is also kind of legendary in his own right so i don't know yeah if he's going to just play like sidekick to oros the whole time or if he's gonna have some stuff going on I don't know, like, if he's gonna... Because he's, he's a little more skeptical of the plot that they're... Like, the contract that they're on. So I don't know if he's gonna abandon Oros at some point. Or, like, if there'll be a big falling out or a backstabbing. But I could definitely see that happening between the two of them. Yeah. Because they keep, like, re-solidifying the fact that, like, they had this glorious, like, military career together. And they like, keep calling each other brother. And I'm like, oh, no. Is that gonna, like... Is, is that gonna wedge, be, yeah. like, a wedge between them maybe at some point? Those are really interesting thoughts around what could happen. The stuff with uh, Analia is really cool because the idea of the assassin's plot and her having to flee is really interesting. You guys have good ideas. I like this. <laughs> <All right>. cool. <laughs> it's, it's just because like I don't know where they're gonna go. Yeah, right I have no I have no clear way of how they're all gonna come together. So I'm interested in that. And then there's like so many other things going on, like Analia's power with enchantment seems super useful but how is she going to have to use it and like will she get a chance to like finish honing her craft yeah before it comes to a point where she needs to use it same with like torong's power with his aura like will he be able to control it and use it or will that be something that's like too powerful and like is his downfall mm. i don't know i'm interested to see if torong and like oros meet and then there's just going to be like this dynamic of like the young pup with like everything to prove and like the living legend there and if there's like some camaraderie that transpires that's or not. definitely gonna be part of that and yeah. i think they both i don't know if it's just part of like the malkozian like genes or whatever but i think two characters both had red hair mm. so i don't know if there's like potentially like they're related or if that's just happens to be like a defining feature there's a lot of red hair okay sometimes like, that's there's like not a lot of red hair in fantasy i'm gonna make people redheads well, it was yeah. really funny because you we were reading it and I was like, oh, hey, Kavoth is like the only red haired character in Patrick Rothfuss's story. And like, he's the main character. And then 
the last book we read, Winterset Hollow, the main character had red hair, and it was used as a plot point of like him being related to somebody else who had red hair. And then in here, I was like, more characters with red hair. What's happening? <laughs> What's going on? That's how on? I found your podcast. Yeah. <laughs> it's coming back, baby. It's just like a, a string wall for like people with yeah. red hair. Yeah, yeah, it's like, like the Charlie Day like yarn board. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's so funny. Um, yeah, so I don't know. I don't know if they're related, but don't tell me. <laughs> no, um, no, no. Your prediction so. as far as... Uh, Oros and Torong and having them meet is is really interesting. Cool. Oh, That's good. I know. I'm I will excited. say this. Everybody gets to use their powers and everybody gets showcased by the end oh, of the Oh, right. That's yes. excellent. I do like that. Um, and then I guess we have no idea because he left off on a cliffhanger, but like we don't even know if Franco Jordan Mawa, the person who assigned the contract, is still alive. If he was killed in his house, why is his house on fire? Things could be getting too close so, to the truth, so now, you know, antagonistic parties are trying to silence him. It's exciting to see. Yeah. Yeah. All will be revealed. Yes, in the good. Two hundred and fifty pages. Perfect. Yeah, and I do. I love like a contained story, so I'm really glad that like your world has limitless potential and how many stories you can write. But I love finishing a book and having that be like the whole thing just because sometimes it's hard to commit to those series that are like 10 plus books long and you're like (laughs) (laughs) like i want to keep reading but also like i've lost track of what happened in the beginning to this character so yeah i like i love a good story that's just like beginning middle end and then you can expand upon it but it's not you know reliant upon the next books always coming out that was definitely intentional i I mean, one, because I'm a new author. So I was like, if people are going to take a chance on me, it's hard to be like, hey, buy one of five books in the in this series. Also, because I feel like the um, the market that is interested in that is big and not being served. So, you know, any publishing, any entertainment industry, there's there's trends. And right now, the big trend is like big epic sagas with multiple books um, and the idea of like small, quick, accessible fiction, potentially with reoccurring characters used to be huge. I mean, obviously, yeah. you know, I mentioned Conan, Elric was one, you had Cull, you had Solomon Kane, you had, you know, uh, Raymond Chandler's books. You have all these different books that were these quick, accessible uh, pieces of entertainment that were really fun and self-contained stories with these characters you could follow. And yeah. now our, our society is like very much into streaming, very much into quick, accessible content. And yet for some reason, like books for adults are not doing that. Like YA does it. But like a, the adult fiction, like sci-fi fantasy market isn't doing it when, you know, superhero movies are never more popular. Like fantasy is never more popular. Like all these genres, every all of this is never more popular. And yet the it doesn't seem like people are putting enough content in there other than maybe like Martha Wells with her like murder bot stuff. Yeah. But very few people are really taking like and, and attacking that market. And that's where I want to be because it's one, it's the opposite. And also because I'm a new author, but because I think they're underserved. Like I'm that market. Like I would love to be able to just pick up an awesome read and just knock it out. But there doesn't really seem to be much of that out there. It all seems to be very long, epic sagas. So yeah, that's a, that was a huge intentional thing for me is like make a story that someone can just pick up and enjoy. And then if they like it, they can read more. And if they read more, they'll learn more, but they won't be overwhelmed. They don't have to watch like a four hour lore video. Um, <laughs> you know, they know my content. So no, it's good and it's refreshing because again, sometimes, and I can't even imagine from an author perspective, but as far as world building is concerned, 
sometimes it's wonderful to have such a wealth of culture and environment, but then to have it displayed and do it where you don't feel like you're spoon feeding the audience and being like, this is my world. This is what we do. You know, it's a hard balance. Yeah. Um, and I mean, like you said, like, I love like, read one story. And like, that's the story. Like, since we started this podcast, everyone's like, have you read Wheel of Time, Wheel of Time, Wheel of Time. And I haven't because I just can't stomach the idea of like committing to that many books, <laughs> which I know sounds so bad. Uh, and I'm very guilty of just like digging my heels and being like, no, it's too much. I can't handle it. Yeah. Um, I'm sure it's a great like adventure. It's yeah. Just, and it I, is a commitment. It's a yeah. Commitment. I haven't read it yet. The closest yeah. I've read, I started the Stormlight Archive and I love those books. I, I love the epic stuff too. It's just those won't be finished until I'm like 40 yeah. or older. So it's like, yeah, it's a big investment. And I'm one of those people that reads like six books at once. And some of them I like to, you know, be done in one to two weeks. And then others I'm totally fine with reading for like two years. Yeah. Um, but I need that balance. Like I need those long, long stories. And then I need those like cool, quick, like adventure packed stories. So I'm really excited to read this. And I've been like hyping up the uh, the sequel to all my coworkers because I'm an archaeologist. And like the idea of like this space artifact was like so fun. So I just <laughs> keep talking about it to everyone. I haven't started it yet, but all my coworkers are like very intrigued um, by the second oh, book cool. too. Yeah. That's <laughs> so. awesome. I'm glad you're spreading the word. Yeah, it's a sci-fi treasure hunt and it's a treasure hunt in every sense of the word. So <sighs> that sounds great. Yeah. 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 So that cool. was a very hard choice for us. Like thankfully there is no chronological order to your world. But when we were making our decision, like, oh, we have like these two really interesting plot points. And like, it literally almost came down to a coin flip as far as like how we wanted to start. Yeah, because I really wanted to read that one just because we haven't covered a lot of sci-fi stuff yet. But I was like, mm, maybe we should go. Like, I know you said they're not in order, but I was like, maybe we should go in order. And we'll we'll probably do both anyway. So it doesn't really matter <laughs> if you want to <laughs> stick it out and awesome. do a second book with us. But... I will definitely do both. Awesome. Very cool. Yeah. So it's been it's been really fun. I have a lot of like predictions as you just had to hear. <laughs> uh, so I'm like really excited to see how all these characters come together. If the plot is more of like Scoria's plot, if it's more of like finding this potential other heir of the king, or maybe those are like two sides of the same plot. I don't know. So I'm very excited. <laughs> I feel like almost all these characters are just going to be like quote unquote victims of circumstance where yes they have their ambitions and their goals but I think circumstance is going to be the one thing that kind of like brings everything to a forefront like I don't think it'll necessarily be one character's ambition and control just because I don't know I mean I could be completely wrong but I feel like worlds and people in general are all kind of influenced just by life events yeah kind of like butterfly effect sometimes yeah yeah yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's tough not knowing, but I think that's what really creates a fun hype. You know, we try and be good about not, like, reading ahead. That way there is a surprise around every corner. Awesome. Do you have any questions for us? I think we're kind of, I think we've hit everything that we put into the first few chapters just because there's lots of speculation at this point and not a lot of answers. <laughs> I don't want to, I was going to say, who so far are you... Uh... Yeah, I guess I, I guess I would ask that. Is there any one character that you're enjoying more than the others as far as their um, their storyline so far? I think I like Princess Analia because she is definitely like the way she her interests and stuff like she's good at school, um, but she's like really close to her family, I think, are things that are similar to myself. Like I really loved school. 
and then just like her ambitions of being like she's going to be the first queen that is like voted outright like not like a default queen of like you were the queen to a king and then the king died or like your sibling was the king and now you're queen um and she's taking that responsibility very seriously and Mm. i feel like i would do the same in her shoes so i'm i'm really interested to see how successful she is at like serving her country but also like not losing herself oh that's really cool that's a good way to look at it yeah Yeah. she was a lot of fun to write oh because i was not the best student in school (laughs) (laughs) so it's interesting to write somebody who's very different um do you write your characters based off people you know does that like help you i'm sure it does i i know it has to influence me um because i i grew up around a lot of girls i have an older sister uh, when we were younger we had uh two other uh girls who my mom babysat so you know from the time i was like you know two up until i went to kindergarten at six and you know in school you're around a ton of girls i just was always around a lot of women so i felt like i kind of can see different women in my life who match her mm-hmm. um and then when it comes to Oros and Torong, there are different pieces of myself, but also different pieces of other people. Barrett is sort of a mix of two people in my life that I kind of put together to make him um, cool. with a little bit of, you know, fantasy dashed on top, but sort yeah. of that yeah. jovial, big, badass guy who can say what he wants and, and do what he wants. And he's got enough connections in his life that people can't, you know, screw him over, really. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because he, he can just be blunt and honest and no one's going to be able to beat him up. So he's got that. But then he's also got the fact that like the political people can't really stab him in the back either. So it makes this cool character who can just be like completely honest. Cause we all like those people who are just, yeah. Sometimes he's very too honest. Candid. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He's a great supporting character. And I do love how old and brash and extroverted and just kind of like you, everyone has that one like loud, obnoxious, fun friend. And like, I think he really encapsulates that really well. Like, even just, yeah, like, that introductory chapter, he's got, like, five, like, mugs of ale, and he's, like, feet <laughs> up on the table, and he's like, what's going on? Yeah, he's fun. And he's a perfect, like, bounce Soros, who's, like, clearly out there to, like, prove it to himself and to the world that, like, he's still got it. Um like, so serious. Yeah, and then Barrett's like, I don't know, maybe it's a wild goose chase, and, like, he keeps dragging them into taverns, and he's, like, <laughs> flirting with this, like, musician at one point in the tavern, and, like, he's definitely just, like, full of life, and then Oros is very, like, serious, it seems like, so I like their dynamic a lot. Yeah, he lightens Oros up. Yeah. Yeah, and he needs it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he does. Um, yeah, did you have a favorite character so far, or was um, Barry your favorite character? Well, he, uh, I know, he really, I think he is definitely, so far, piquing my interest I think as far as, like, emotional investment to plot and looking forward to Torong's development, Mm -hmm. because I know that there's going to be so much twisting and turning, even from what he thinks he's going to be accomplishing. I'm really interested to see more, like, development of this power and why it's almost so taboo, because it's like, is a society seeing him as almost, um, like, a weapon of mass destruction? Is it, you know, like, fabled, like, hero of destiny kind of vibe? Like, I'm really interested to see where that progression's going to lead. Yeah, no, he he was a lot of fun to write because, yeah, he does go through all that. And then with him, I kind of took sort of that, that destiny hero trope and sort of spun it on its head of, like, he inherits his power. It's not necessarily a, a bad thing, but it's also not necessarily 
a great thing. Like yeah. there's these big yeah. moments. And then when you give a boy of his age, that type of power, and then you make him have to navigate all of these things that he never thought, you know, he's the kid who, you know, has a poster of a battleship on his wall. And he's like, I want to be, you know, in the Navy, do all this stuff. And then you find out truly what it means to have to go to battle, to be in battle, to, to do that, but not only do that, but with a power that can cause fear that can scare people that has political implications. Like mm. you're like, I just wanted to, to help out, but how does all that emotional impact come to you when there's so many more forces involved in your life that you never anticipated? Yeah. Very much like the, with great power, great responsibility, like fully understanding the ramifications of that and that's really cool yeah and when you're that young like he's 15 like you don't understand necessarily how adults are going to manipulate you or use you or like try to sway you so i think his path's gonna be really cool too yeah so and i haven't introduced really his mom yet right no no not yet okay you're gonna love her so great (laughs) (laughs) she's cool she's she also gets to display how talented she is so oh cool yeah i like um so far, Analia, I think, is the only female character, but, like, she's already a lot more dynamic than you get in, especially, like, a princess, because it's usually, like... I don't want you to be... I, you want me to be dad. Yeah, I don't want to be princess. I just want to be a regular girl. Yeah. Um, oh, so, <laughs> I like that Freaky she's... Everything yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I definitely like that she's got a lot more going on to her, and all the characters seem very uh, dynamic and realistic, so, yeah, I'm, I'm excited. There's more, more characters to come, too. I don't have any other questions i don't think just because we haven't really gotten like into the meat of the book but um it's been a good introduction though i like that just the way the chapters have parsed out we've got our four main characters so far yeah like the main character is the villain i like the like alternating chapters of like following different characters so far because then it like keeps you really interested in reading um like i read it really quickly because i was like super into it um awesome yeah and i think i divided it just literally based on page numbers so we're gonna do one two three four like six episodes i think because like i said i just did it arbitrarily because i didn't want to look too far ahead i was like i'll just quickly look and divide it up and like not read anything (laughs) as i open up the book um but i saw some like really cool character art and obviously you sent us some character art but there was like a little bit more in there like some scenes and stuff so like it's very visually fun the environment's really fun i like all the different like cast of characters we're getting um so i'm really enjoying it so far thank you that means a lot so, yeah yeah it was a very fun first book to finish it was like a huge milestone for me because i had always wanted to write a book you know when i had my daughter my wife was like you got to finish your book or, or you're never going to get it done and so summer <laughs> of 2020 i just rushed through it so i had probably about 80 or so pages and then that summer i i just got on the keyboard and i i knocked out the remainder of the book and so yeah it's kind of a cool little window to go back and and see a lot of that stuff yeah, that's cool that it was like at a big like milestone in your own life. Is yeah. this I not to like poke and pry, but like is writing your main profession or is this something you do more as like a hobby on the side? At the moment it's a hobby on the side. I'd love to do it full time. Like I, I do have big plans. I want to come out with one book each year. So this book uh came out in twenty twenty. My last book came out September of twenty twenty one, which they're basically a year apart. Mm-hmm. Um, I've started work on the third book now, which is a horror book, and it's in the intercontinent of Montcroy, which they talk about Ooh. a little bit. So yeah, so it's still super early. So I don't want to say too much because things yeah. could change when it's at that very early stage. But uh, I'm hoping I can get that done 
before 2022 is over. Um, but I am having a boy in March, so oh, <laughs> <full congrats>. <laughs> yeah, so I'll have a full household, but my plan is to knock out that one. And that'll, so my plan is sort of to complete, it's not like a trilogy, but basically I want the first three books to kind of touch on three very important places. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I'll go back and tell stories. Um, I'll finish probably the next two stories with the Malcoze characters. I have a Kratos story. I don't want to say, cause it would spoil what happens with some of the Malcoze characters and potentially I'm putting together some comic book scripts. So I'm hoping that I could do like a little graphic novel that has multiple stories from different intercontinents to kind of give you that little preamble to teach you like, oh, here's three or four different places. And here's these different stories all in the same kind of shared universe. Cool. Um, and so, yeah, so I have really big plans for it. I want to keep building on this universe. And so that way, as I continue to do my Comic-Con booths, I have more and more cool art I get to stare at. Yeah. That's really fun. Yeah, the art's really fun. And I like the idea that, like, you just said the third book is a horror book, which I was not expecting. But I love that they're all kind of like different genres. So that's really cool. And I think that's a great way for different readers. There's a little something for everybody in a way, where if you're into a more medieval style fantasy, obviously, we have your first book for the sci-fi lovers, um, you know, the little Rev story. And then with this, and I love horror. So very interested to see what uh progression takes forward with your third uh book so that's really cool i can give you a little i can give you a little snippet so this is the first you're the first people to hear this so i have my wife was in all of it (laughs) uh, (laughs) so essentially there uh the way that montcroy is is built is that there's essentially like a walled off city that all the humans live in and that's the side that everybody sees that's the side that all the other intercontinents see they see the normal people in this city and they don't really like they hear about these these werewolf people, these these vampires, and they're like, is it real? Is it not? You know, we've heard about it. We know they exist, but is it even real anymore? Is it fake? And so you have essentially the re- outside of that wall. It's like completely lawless and controlled by whichever people control it. So the vampires control one corner, werewolves control their Vikingy mountain area, and oh, then in man. between there's all, and then the witches kind of have the swamps taken over. And then in between it, you have all these different little civilizations that that are just like these little places. And hopefully they have people with magical powers to protect them. But there is an order of people called waywards who travel around and bring justice to these humans who don't really have the capability to do so. However, they decide to make a play against the vampires that is extremely costly and leaves only one left who's trapped within the vampires pretending to be a vampire and that's where I'll leave it. <gasps> that sounds really cool. My hands are like sweating. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's really interesting. And it's like, uh, that creates such a sense of vulnerability, especially for just like regular humans. Because yes, you could be like, our walls are for our protection. But it's almost like livestock in a pen and everything around them is just threatening. So yeah, that, that's, that's awesome. Really cool. it, we did our first... Our first D&D campaign was The Curse of Strahd, so I feel like anyone who liked that will probably like that book because it's very much like these tiny little like groups of humans live in these villages and then there's just like the terror of like the overarching vampire and like everything else is kind of like misty and mysterious and it's like outside of the cities is like dangerous, but not in the way, like it's very different from what you just described, but yeah, I think yeah. very similar. I that sounds exciting. That it's yeah, really I fun. 
as well. I'll highly recommend it. Um, just like the artwork, the overall like side quests and plot points, everything in it is very interesting and well crafted. Our um, our DM is uh, an English and theater teacher, so he was really fun, and he's actually redoing the campaign and recording the whole thing as a podcast. So um, really. Yeah, wow. I don't have oh, he, he's that like, link. <laughs> <laughs> I will. Uh, I think he's like finishing it all and then going to put the episodes out. But yeah, as soon as we have that, I will send that out because it was really fun to play with him. Yeah, well, that is awesome. Yeah, I I've always enjoyed vampires. I actually a huge inspiration for me. Have you ever seen? So obviously a lot of people know Vampire Hunter D. Yeah, um, oh, that was did you awesome. see the anime Bloodlust? It's like the newer one. No, no. You can find it for free on YouTube. It's called Sweet. Vampire Hunter D Bloodlust, and the story—it's like—I don't—I don't think the story is like anything world-changing necessarily. It's pretty similar to a lot of the stories from the books, but mm-hmm. the cool—and I do like—I um, actually—I was going to say I, this is on my reading pile. I actually just started the first book, <laughs> oh, so cool. a Vampire Hunter D. Yeah, I wanted to read it. It's—it's it's my research. Uh, <laughs> You know so, what? Yeah, I have so seen you... that. It is on YouTube. It's like a two-hour film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the animation, animation on that is, is gorgeous. Yeah, yeah, Ooh. it looks better than most anime now. I'm yeah. like, how do they not look this good anymore? <laughs> oh, it was so good, and I feel like at least with that particular story, like visualizations were awesome. The characters were very unique. The fight sequences were really cool, and I feel like they like had these great little tidbits. Like he's walking through that initial ambush. It's very like Wild West. Oh wait! I want. I saw that as you were watching it. I remembered. Yeah, yeah that was cool. Yeah, oh, a lot it's of cool powers. That, yeah, there there's some cool stuff going on with that. Even yeah. just the intro is like so encapsulating, like everything dying and all that. That was really yeah, great vibes. <laughs> but um, I'm really excited. I'm thankful you were actually open to sharing some of your um, you know, upcoming projects. That was like really cool. So. I'm really excited to continue this, you know, series with you and, you know, uncover a lot of these characters and what their destinies are. Awesome. Well, hopefully you enjoy. Hopefully it doesn't underwhelm. <laughs> no, it'll, it'll, no, it's been really If not, I'll hear about it. <laughs> Great. Thanks so much. Thanks, Brian. Have a good Thank night. Thank you. You too. Thanks, listeners. If you're looking for more, check us out at fantasticbookspod.com we have book reviews, reading list suggestions, merch, and you can even send us a message. Or find us on Facebook and Instagram at Fantastic Books Pod. And if you like what you've been hearing, don't forget to leave us a review. Thanks. Thanks.